everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adoption Hacks. I'm your host, Candace Laycock. Today on the show, we have Michelle Batten from Hopeful Connections Parenting. Michelle is a trauma-responsive parenting coach who helps exhausted, adoptive, and foster parents explore needs behind difficult behavior, find hope again, and bring healing to their families. Today, we are going to talk about playing and the healing power of playing what happens in our child's brain when we play, and practical ways we can build a connection together. Here's our interview. All right. Welcome, Michelle, to Adoption Hacks. It's so great to have you here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I'm a trauma-responsive parenting coach for foster and adoptive parents, and typically exhausted foster and adoptive parents. And I help explore the needs behind behaviors. And I um, do that through parent coaching, through TBRI caregiver training, and then through the Safe and Sound Protocol. So my work is primarily with foster and adoptive families. And a lot of that is out of the state. Um, I do work with foster families in Idaho under state contracts sometimes they'll hire me for those families so that's exciting to be able to work with foster families in that in that way so yeah very cool and how did you get into this field so I grew up in a home of foster and adopted siblings uh, I my, some of my youngest memories, my, well, I think my, probably my youngest memory is with my sister, who was 11 months when she came to us. I was almost three, and she was a foster child with severe neglect, and uh, about two years later, the visits ended, and by five, she was adopted. Now, this was the 70s, so rules were a little different. Foster care could last a long time. Some of the foster siblings I had were long-term, like six years, so um, in and out of our home. So it was really uh, throughout our life that there were foster kids around. And so I looked at my sister, though, and said, there's something different, and always had that nagging question, like, what is it that is different about her from, and the way she experiences the world? compared to myself and my other sister and brother who were bio kids. And so I, I wondered about that and went into child development. Uh, I shared with you that I worked in hospital settings with the idea of preventing trauma. And then um, about 10 years ago, was involved in a church of 2,000 people and there were 30 foster and adoptive families. So a large number and I went, oh, wow, <laughs> what are we going to do? Because I knew about um, the culture might not be what foster and adoptive families needed, that perfect behavior and parenting for behavior wasn't going to meet the needs of these kiddos and going to create a lot of chaos. So um, stumbled about TBRI with a friend who had adopted, and from there I've um, been able to start building this business of helping families. So with Hopeful Connections Parenting, well, the details of how that started is a friend and I began this ministry and we, she was helping the parents and they would be watching the videos and have a topic that they would discuss and hash out how does this really look like um, 
living in the home. And then myself and a counselor who is a TBRI practitioner were working with kids. And we created this curriculum, this play curriculum, where we were teaching the same concepts, but so that parents could go home with, with common language, but that they were um, separate, and then the parents would pick them up uh, afterwards. And so that one of the things that happened and how, how Hopeful Connections became was that families at my church could no longer come because of the chaos in their homes, which is what I anticipated five years in. And so uh, this foster and adoption program had, or ministry, had um, attracted some families from the state foster care. And so it had began to grow outside of the church and that's how Hopeful Connections came. I try and customize what I'm teaching to families. So go into it asking families, do you, know, do you have any training in TBRI? Because that's really the groundwork where I, where I come from. And then find out if that's the piece they need. And so our conversations are, are focused around that training or if it's just coaching, like is there a specific problem in your house that, um, you know, kids are hoarding food. That one, right? A common problem. Is that the problem we can focus on during this? So I customize what I do and the packages I offer families in that way. But I also do the safe and sound protocol. And that has been an interesting add to that because um, one of the pieces that I went into this for was helping families create safety and teaching through play. And But there's a place where families go, what can I do for my own healing and how can I calm my system? And I found that this is um, a piece of the puzzle, right? It's not the magic answer. And I don't think any one piece will ever show us the whole picture, but this is another way I help families. So, Yeah. Very cool. I think if there, if you're a listener of the pod, I think that you are familiar with TBRI by now, but maybe not um, safe and sound. So could you kind of just explain what that is for listeners? Sure, Safe and Sound is a five-hour listening protocol. And uh, it's what I love now is they kind of switched during COVID. They've had to pivot the Safe and Sound p- protocol. So now um, I'm able to deliver it to families and they're able to use uh, the app on their phone to listen to this protocol. And we can monitor it together and work together to, to see how things are going. The goal is, is that by using the nerves in the ear, which connect to major nerves in our body, and to the brain, we can um, access a uh, frequency that calms the body. And that might be the first time a child is experiencing that type of calm or for a parent to help them bring them back to that place. If, if in fact, they're, you know, they've been at that place before of calm and they're going, this isn't who I, who I was and what I was doing. And, um, and it's true, like par- the parenting gig is hard, add trauma to it and it's really hard, right? It's exhausting for our bodies and our minds. So uh, the safe and sound protocol is a puzzle piece to helping bring calm to the entire body and bring us back to that place where we can help our child co-regulate and, and have that space for ourselves because so much is done uh, interpersonally with that regulation piece. So. Mm-hmm. So a pretty simple idea of listening, but a very specific frequency, which is delivered through this listening system. For kids, there's Disney music and the frequency is changing constantly through it. For adults, there's different, you don't have to listen to Disney the whole time. That might put us all on, (laughs) that might be enough to set all of us on uh, edge. (laughs) So 
Okay, so our topic today is about playing and how play can heal. So um, could you just walk us through why, why is play so crucial to kids in general, not just um, for kids from hard places, but just playing for children in general? Why is it so important? You know, play is a piece of, of child development. It was um, actually when I did taught at university level, play was a big section of my teaching in this child development class because it's so crucial and how we can enter a child's world. But play has to do with imagination and physical challenge and problem solving and emotional resilience, uh, group problem solving, rules, leadership, and especially joy, right? Like that's a place, if we think back to a childhood memory where there is play, there's often all those elements wrapped into it. It's not just a free-spirited running, but it's there's how rules are followed and things like that. Um, so play is really important in that. And I remember when I moved from the Maryland area to Colorado at first, I remember this cultural shift where People would say in a group gathering, which is what we used to do pre-COVID, right? These gatherings of people. Um, for that. <laughs> it's getting vague. <laughs> Anyways, in those group gatherings, I remember, you know, meeting new people and they say, oh, what do you do? And in, in the area I grew up outside of D.C., that meant job or career or what adult thing do you do that keeps you going. When I moved to Colorado, they meant snowboarding, skiing, mountain bike, right? Like the play was the center of that question. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember this shift in, uh, because I was in Colorado studying child development, just this idea of like, oh, play is important to grownups too, right? Mm-hmm. That we need a place where, um, what we call that is flow, where we get into that space where the rest of the world is outside, right? And, mm-hmm. and, True play is that kind of experience. For grown-ups, um, for me, that's skiing. And the older I get, the more I have to be complete flow or <laughs> I worry about my knee, right? Like I have to completely focus. And I like in the summer to do um, paddleboarding on rivers. So that takes, a, when you hit a, some white water, that takes some complete concentration. So uh, that's play. That's grown-up play where we're completely in that space. So uh, it's important for kids. It's an important piece of exploring the world safely and understanding what the world's, how the world works. And then why so much more? How is it different for kids coming from trauma or from hard places? Well, I think that it's so important because um, of that piece of flow, right? Like that piece where we're completely in the moment and play play allows us to enter in without all the outside things. Now, I'm not unrealistic that when we play with our kids who are foster or adoption that um, there's a little bit of, well, I won't say a little bit, there's often control issues going on, right? Like it's not this genuine play where it's complete flow. They're still trying to control the world. But this can become a safe space and we get this opportunity to create these spaces where, um, where kids can just do genuine play. So it's really important. The whole day can't be play, right? We know, that's not real, but how is it that we can enter for play with our kids in just little increments? And that might be playfulness, where we're correcting with playfulness and being silly when, when that's appropriate and we're matching their behavior with our response. But being able to have a playful spirit disarms that fear and helps children to 
let go of all those that fear response. You know, our kids who have experienced trauma often have an overdeveloped amygdala, that overdeveloped fight, flight, or freeze space in their brain. And so they're living there constantly. If we can help them move to the front of their brain where there is, uh, and help that part develop, then that's really important to, to be able to do. And play is one of the ways we can do that, to, to move them from that fear place to a creative experiencing the world place in a safe way. What is the parent's role, the foster parent or the adoptive parent's role in joining in on this play? Because it's not just about the child playing independently, right? It's about us participating too. Yes, it is. And you know what? I think that we can think of um, the parent role, right? Like uh, what the parent rules. <laughs> so because I think for ourselves, um, it's important to think, what, what am I doing in this space? I... I'm not naturally a person who does what we think of as kid play. The imagination play just stretches my abilities. And because I typically am analyzing behavior and thinking about what's going on and why, why is the kid doing this? And what's, you know, I'm always about what's the need behind the behavior. So I'm analyzing that. It's hard for me to just enter in and be fully present. But I think that's the first piece, right? That we can play and be present, that we can enter the child's world because play is really um, a language that they speak, right? We, we have therapists who build their whole business of healing around allowing a child to speak through play rather than talk. So uh, we can know that play is a space where if we can be fully present and enter without judgment, like allow that play to be um, maybe a safe space for some big things to happen. Um, there could be rules around that, and I'll talk about that in a second, but that, that safe space. Uh, I think another thing is play is a unique space because it can be developmental right? That we can, parents can enter this space and not expect more. So we can enter our 12-year-old who's acting like a six-year-old emotionally and play with little toy figurines that a six-year-old would play with non-judgmentally. What is creating a safety that's a unique space to do that, right? Because we, it's hard to create safety all day long. But by play, we can enter their world and, and do that. So just not judgment of, well, you shouldn't be playing with that, right? So entering in that space really well. Um, and also I think the other rule is don't, not a lecturing time, right? Like let's, let's think about our, what's happening, how we can integrate some intentional teaching and understand what's being experienced. Maybe that's the word, how we can be intentional about what's our observations of what's being experienced, but not say, this is my goal for this time, right? And so that's what I think parents can do for play. Um, how can play build and heal relationships? Well, I think that that idea of safety, right? Like uh, the children who come to us have had relational hurts. And so if we can enter a play and enter their world with safety and create safety, then we get to um, teach with that intentional spirit of what a relationship is, what are the back and forth. That's, that was part of the in optimal child development play that I listed, right? Like those things happen in play. And so 
healing can happen in that as well. When you disarm fear through play, you're also bringing some healing in relationships. And I would even say playfulness, not just play. Like I'm sitting down and imagining with toys that I'm not very good at. Right? And I often got kicked out of because I wasn't pretending right. Because I don't understand how to pretend. <laughs> like I don't know, with the little dollies. Yeah, that's where so. we're at now with the four-year-old. We don't we don't know all the ins and outs of PJ Masks as well as he does. So we didn't get the playing wrong. <laughs> yeah. in, my, in my day it, for my son, it was rescue heroes. And he'd line them up and I was supposed to do something and I didn't understand it. <laughs> so that's what it was. So anyway, so that, that idea that we can um, be intentional in relationship in that play and enter in that space is, I think it's an honor to be invited into there, right? To, to get to do that. So. When you talk about um, playfully handling um, correction or, or whatever, what does that look like? So I think about, uh, you know, my framework is TBRI. So I think about being intentional with uh, the way we um, correct kids. So when we can be playful and, and silly and ask for redos, that we do that, right? Like that we don't... Um, Dr. Purvis used to say, don't go after a gnat with an elephant gun, that it's really how matching that behavior. So there's no reason for um, these little, little behaviors to be, become big to us. And then, and then I think for ourselves to think, why was that so big to me when it was such a little yeah. infraction for lack of a better word. And so playfulness can easily come into that. And, even even in, when we up it from simple redos to the idea of structured engagement and offering choices or compromises, we can play playful there. It's it's a different tone, but it's playful of like, you know, I can't even think of an example off the top of my head, but I think about food and and being silly about food and matching that silliness of, you know, I know you don't want a bagel with peanut butter, but do you want, you know, this toast with peanut butter and ants, right? And they can be silly about things sometimes. Now, obviously, not every kid can handle that silly, and so we're, we're regulating that, but I don't want to cause big behaviors because we just offered ants but <laughs> on a peanut butter sandwich. But, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like there's this, this playful spirit that we can allow in. I think sometimes we're afraid that that playfulness will is permission for mm-hmm. other behaviors, and, and that's not what we're doing. We're not giving permission. We're just entering without judgment, which is what playfulness is, right? What are some practical play ideas for families? So I think, I think this is always the question that comes up, right? Well, okay, but I'm so tired or okay, but I can't think of this, right? And we've got so much going on, like just having a list in our head sometimes helps us to engage with our kids. And, and I think like that intentional set aside time even if it's the 10 minutes before bed that you have this routine that's playful or right, the sometime during the day after lunch that, or before lunch that you're using play, that you just set aside in your own mind and be intentional. I think that that's important as well as, of course, what I said, integrating. But So I think of what, because I'm, because I'm always looking at these behaviors, I think, well, how can I, um, what's happening during play, so why is it important, right? So I think about things like behavior matching, and I often go back to infants. What does an infant need? Because that's what our kiddos often have missed. And so 
if you look at a baby and you stick out your tongue and just the listeners can't see what the face I'm going to make, so yeah. I'll do it. But you just quickly stick out your tongue and you're looking at a really tiny baby, they'll match that back to you. Mm-hmm. And um, those are the neurons in our brains that, that cause that, that mirror our behaviors. And so we can integrate things like that to cause connection, right? That joy you experience when that baby sticks out their tongue back at you and you're like, oh, they did it to me. I'm, you know, that feeling to you also reflects to that baby and says you're precious and that joy comes back so we can be intentional like that and just playing legos and picking the same color block right like just that playfulness of lighting those neurons so that we can say you're unique and i see you and you're you're being heard so playfulness in that way um it helps me to to play and build lego things another area where i was really weak in my skills (laughs) as they built these elaborate structures and I could build four walls um, with multiple colors, but still, (laughs) but you know that we can, we can enter this place playfully and, and do that's really important. Simple things like catching a ball. I mean, what are we teaching that we're community? A lot of communication happens, even if we're not um, speaking, we could even make a rule of not speaking and let's play catch without speaking. And you have to make eye contact in order to throw the ball. Right. And you have to, um, be fully present because you can't look away and watch the dog that just ran past because the ball is going to definitely come in your nose, <laughs> especially with some kiddos, right? <laughs> and then um, there's encouragement you can do, like I, great throw, and right, like there's things that you can do even if the ball's in another place. So um, I think about uh, a jar full of playful ideas. I remember there was a season where this really was important for me. Is just things your kids likes to do, and this can be our 10 minute activity, so that you can always say yes to that activity. So there are things that you can enter into. So that's a great idea. I also think like when parents explore what their kids' sensory needs are, we can make up playful ideas there. Maybe it's, the, I call it the burrito game. I remember I did um, respite for a while, and this was a favorite when I was just exhausted. And that would be that you, the kid lays on a blanket and you, they roll up like a burrito in the blanket so they're swaddled and arms out if that's what creates safety. Um, And they tell you what to put on the burrito. So they're laying with their tummy down and maybe it's mustard and you wipe it really gently or maybe it's, um, then there's spaghetti, right? And you put long strings on their back. And so you're putting in different sensory experience and you're integrating all this calming things. And when we look into that, like there can be intentional understanding of what's going on in their bodies because when we do that proprioceptive deep input we're actually calming their nervous system down for hours so that's really important to to use in our play right so it's not so much that we have these goals but that we understand what's going on through normal play so that we can be intentional in what we're doing so i think that that's really so there's some other things even simple things like i think bubble blowing when we blow bubbles and they go away we do that with toddlers and the joy is that the bubbles come back, right? Our kids don't know that what goes away comes back, right? So there's little lessons that we can observe in the world and be playful about the world. And wow, those bubbles went away and came back. And there's a lesson there, right? Like we can just be silly and there's still um, some, some object permanence and ideas that, that happen and develop in play. So, yeah. Those are amazing ideas. Thank you. And it is when you really think about it, like there's so many 
connection points through playing. It's, it really is powerful. Um, what are some ways that you've seen being intentional about play impacting children and their families? So pre-COVID, I got to go into homes. And so I have this curriculum I created, and I was able to go into these homes and teach TBRI through play. So we'd have hour to hour and a half sessions and use play just to, again, bring that common language. So it might be puppets or it might be, um, I bought these fake snowballs and so we'd have a snowball fight and, and you had to ask before and make eye contact before you threw it. Well, we're teaching eye contact and saying yes and um, things like that. So a whole, a whole thing of play. And it was great because it taught skills to both parents and kids, right? I could communicate with eye contact with the parent and they'd get with before the kid understood what was going on, what I was teaching. But we were able to bring, create the space of healing. And so I think that that's one of the big things is parents don't, our days get so full of this healing stuff and so much work involved in this intentional pairing that parents don't get to play with their kids very often, right? It is hard to make that space. So I see the healing happening just in the parents getting to disarm fear too, right? Like that they can be intentional and enter in that space with fun. It's just not very, parenting isn't always very fun. <laughs> so that's one of the ways I get to see it is that, that it impacts children and families is there's more fun in the families. There's more intentional relationships. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to think about what this intentional relationship, I also think parents need to think, how can I play for even for that five minutes or 10 minutes a day? Like, how can I, I don't mean play with my kid, but just be playful, right? Like what is my space that is playful? And that's really important too. Yeah, that's a good thought. Cause you're so right. It's so hard for us sometimes to like disconnect from everything else, but I think my one other piece of advice is like put our phones on silent notification and set it aside. That is really hard. Um, If you have older kids, one of the things I've done for that is I have a separate app that they're allowed to text me on. And that's the only one that has notifications. Other people don't matter during that time, right? Unless there's an emergency call twice, you know, that rule. And so set the phone aside and that's a good important piece too. Yeah. Very true. Um, and what are some additional resources? If this has like sparked some interest in listeners, how can they get more information on this? Um, I actually have a five-day play curriculum that I took out pieces from what I do in homes. And um, that's at hopeparenting.com backslash play together. So I will give you that link and you can stick it in. But um, then they can just download a five-day curriculum. of. It's got playful ideas, and then some calming um, coping strategies. Because I think one of the important pieces for families is, you know, one of the reasons we're afraid to enter into that play is chaos ensues when kids get amped up, right? And so understanding how to use some of those sensory pieces like wall pushes to give that deep input or those types of things that might help calm the body. So all that's in there. That's really good. Thank you. I'm going to go download myself right now. Good, good. Um, And well, thank you so much for sharing about this topic. Um, We know your website, but um, 
we can find you there and all your stuff there. Any, anywhere else we can find you and get more resources from you? Sure. My email is michelle at hopeparenting.com. And uh, then my website is a video about who I am and, and such. And then also always call me or email me. Is, I'll be quick to answer. Okay. Perfect. So, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I really, I love the insight that you have for families and kiddos. And, and so thank you for the work that you do and for sharing with us parents. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. I love it. Thanks so much to Michelle for being on the show today. If you want to check out anything that she talked about or get in contact with her, you can go to hopeparenting.com. And thank you guys for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to Adoption Hacks so you get every single episode as it comes out. And follow us on Instagram at Adoption Hacks. And you can always reach us through email at adoptionhacksinfo at gmail.com. Hope you guys are having an awesome week. Talk to you soon.